this is our first bonus episode and in this bonus episode we're going to be talking about the format of bonus episodes moving forward and we're going to be talking a little bit about climate change so without further ado let's just jump into it format of course the first thing that you would have noticed is the change in music and this reflects the overall concept of bonus episodes it's going to be experimental and not only that it's going to be a platform for audience interaction and this is something that is incredibly important to me because i want to hear exactly what you guys want us to talk about and if we can we could bring in experts we bring in friends individuals who are passionate about the topic that you wanted us to talk about so head us up on our social media at two pole refugees that is at two the number two p-o-l-r-e-f-u-g-e-e-s and that is the same handle across all of our social media platforms that is facebook that is twitter that's instagram you could dm us or you could at us on twitter and we would be willing and ready to just get in a conversation or hear exactly what you guys want us to talk about. Now, with that aside, I want to talk about climate change. And the purpose of this episode, really, is to expand on my thoughts from the last episode that we would have had. Of course, in that last episode, we would have talked about Biden's executive order to rejoin the Paris Agreement. We didn't go into it in detail. So because of that, we didn't talk about the executive orders to reverse Trump's policies. Of course, I shared my reservations, but for the sake of time, and so we wouldn't stick on that because we were talking about more than one topic, I didn't really get into the nitty gritty of my point or my thoughts surrounding it. And this is exactly what this podcast is for. So without further ado, let me just jump into it and try to put together a really solid argument showing everyone why I disagree and hopefully in the process I could sway you the listener onto my side <laughs> the dark side so here's the thing before I jump into it I want to say a couple things climate change is real I don't think that there's anybody out there denying it in fact maybe there there are because there's still individuals who believe that the earth is flat but climate change is real and I'm not going to sit here and deny undeniable truth the problem that I have is the exaggeration of climate change in fact the word that aptly describes that exaggeration is climate alarmism people are way too obsessed with the environment and trying to save it so much so that they fail to recognize how like detrimental these policies that they're seeking to implement truly are. But let me give you some examples of how this climate alarmism plays out. Because the, the best way to 
put it is that these individuals believe that the climate change issue is pretty much like a meteor flying down to earth and we need to spend all our resources on it to stop it. A perfect example of this is Greta Thunberg. And she writes in her book, No One Is Too Small To Make A Difference, that the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. I'm quite sure that many of you would still remember her most uh, popular speech when she says, how dare you? In fact, let me play the clip right here just to give me a little refresher for you guys who are listening. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet, you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil and that I refuse to believe. How dare you? How dare you talk about anything other than climate change? How dare you focus on anything other than climate change? How dare you think about anything other than climate change? Climate change is a huge boogeyman and is out to get us. Well, at least that's what Greta Thunberg thinks. But not just Greta Thunberg. In fact, millions of individuals all over the world. A recent study that was done in Britain suggests that one out of every five children suffers with nightmares about climate change. Climate change really is the boogeyman. But it's not just Greta Thunberg and the other children. John Kerry, who was recently um, brought under Joe Biden's wing to deal with the environmental issues, he says that climate change should now be called a climate crisis. Listen to this clip. I really, I think we have to end the word climate change and own up to the fact it is the climate crisis now. And that's why President Biden submitted the paperwork to immediately rejoin the Paris Agreement as soon as he could, hours after he was sworn in. But not just John Kerry. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, many of you would know her as AOC, she says that fighting climate change, for our generation at least, is World War II, is our generation's World War II. And we have to splash as much cash on it, as much cash as possible to deal with the issue. In fact, we shouldn't be spending on anything else. We should be dealing with climate change. 
we should be fighting against this big boogeyman. Again, another clip with her talking about the situation. I think that the part of it that is generational is that millennials and people and, you know, Gen Z and all these folks that come after us are looking up and we're like, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it? And like, this is the war. This is our World War Two. And it, it, I think for younger people, we're looking at this and we're like, how, how are we saying let's take it easy mm-hmm. when 3,000 Americans died last year? How are we saying let's take it easy when the nth person has just uh, died from, from our cruel and unjust criminal justice system? How are we saying take it easy when the America that we're living in today is so dystopian with people sleeping in their cars so that they can work a second job without health care? And we're told to settle down. Mm. I don't. It's a it's a fundamental uh, separation between, mm. you know, the, that fierce urgency of now, the mm. why we can't wait mm-hmm. that King mm-hmm. spoke of. Mm-hmm. Um, that at some point these chronic realities do reach a breaking point. Mm-hmm. And I think for our generation, it, it's reached that. And I wish I didn't have to be, you know, doing every post, but. Sometimes I, I, I just feel like people aren't uh, being held accountable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. until we all start pitching in and holding people accountable, I'm just going to let them have it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, her solution to this is the Green New Deal. Uh, the Green New Deal attempts or is seeking to do or seeking to force America into doing a couple of things. One is establish a low carbon electricity grid, a net zero emissions transportation system, guaranteed jobs, universal health care, guaranteed green housing, and food security. And of course, with all of these things, it's incredibly expensive. Doug Eakin, Doug Holtz Eakin, academic policy advisor and the president of the American Action Forum, he says that this can cost anywhere between 52 to $93 trillion to the U.S. taxpayer. And here's the thing. There was a recent study that was carried out asking Americans exactly how much money would you spend on climate change. Of course, Joe Biden was influenced by many of these policies. He wants to spend $1,500 per person but the average American is only able to afford $24. That's what they said they were willing to pay, $24. And that's the issue with most of these climate policies. Most of them are going to be paid for by the average taxpayer. The average individual like me and you who are struggling to get by. The person who's living month to month, paycheck to paycheck, just trying to get his rent paid. That is the individual who is going to have to foot the bill. Because, of course, the celebrities could go and run away. Or you could do like Ted Cruz and run to to Cancun. Because you're privileged enough to do that. But for the average Joe, relocating is incredibly expensive. So now, you're stuck footing the bill for this climate policy. This is where I transition into my criticism of it. Because I think 
my criticism of it starts with the core of it. And the core of it is this climate alarmism and this notion that we need to do things. But it goes even a bit deeper than that. My issue lies with the fact that there's nothing really to back this. In fact, Michael Schellenberger, author of Apocalypse Never, Why Climate Alarmism Hurts Us All, he says that no credible scientific body has ever said climate change threatens the collapse of civilization, much less the extinction of the human species. Now, that is just moving to me. Because there's, the science does not back this. And yet these individuals say the science, the science, the science. No, the science does not back it. He says does not back spending of this millions of dollars. In fact, Michael Schellenberger goes on to lay out a few facts that go completely in the opposite direction to what most climate alarmists are saying. In fact, let me read a few of them for you guys. He said that these are a few facts that you need to know. Humans are not causing a six mass extinction. The Amazon is not the lungs of the world. Climate change is not making natural disasters worse. Fires have declined 25% around the world since 2003. The amount of land we use for meat, oh this one is definitely going to hurt the vegans, but the amount of land that we use for meat, humankind's biggest use of land, has declined by an area nearly as large as Alaska. The buildup of wood, fuel, and more houses near forests, not climate change. Explain why there are more and more dangerous fires in Australia and California. Carbon emissions are declining in the most rich nations and have been declining in Britain, Germany and France since the mid-1970s. The Netherlands became rich, not poor, while adapting to life below sea level. We produce 25% more food than we need and food surpluses will continue to rise as the world gets hotter. Habitat loss and the direct killing of wild animals are bigger threats to species than climate change. Wood fuel is far worse for people and wildlife than fossil fuels. Preventing future pandemics requires more, not less, industrial agriculture. If these facts are not profound to you, then I don't know what to tell you. Because when you really look at it, these facts go against the typical narrative of climate change and climate change alarmists and everybody who's talking about climate change within the industry. But what's surprising is that this is what the science is saying. This didn't come from any and anywhere. This, this, this came from science. This came from the scientific community. This is what they're saying. And yet we are having policies that they say are backed by the science which go completely in the opposite direction. But I think that there's a nice quote that really ties this all together really, really well and puts a nice little bow on it. And this is from Bjorn Lundberg in his book, False Alarm. And he writes that the science, the science shows us that fears of a climate apocalypse are unfounded. Global warming is real, but it's not the end of the world. It is a manageable problem. Yet we live in a world where almost... Half the population believes that climate change will extinguish humanity. This has profoundly altered the political reality. 
It makes us double down on poor climate policies. It makes us increasingly ignore all other challenges from pandemics and food shortages to political strife and conflicts or subsume them under the banner of climate change. If we don't say stop, the current false climate alarm, despite its good intentions, is likely to leave the world much worse off than it can be. We need to dial back on the panic, look at science, face the economics, and address the issue rationally. What resonates with me the most about this quote is that he speaks about something that that really touches me, and that is the money that's being spent on climate change could be spent on improving the lives of individuals in other places. We could be spending our money on research on um, communicable and non-communicable diseases. Right now, COVID is ripping through the entire world. There are economies that have been brought to a standstill. I'm in a developing country and we were just coming out of recession. In fact, we were just looking. The the sun was was shining on our faces. It felt like we were at that point. It felt like a weight was lifted from off of the country and then boom, COVID. We weren't able to make the recovery that we wanted to make. And so many other individuals are suffering right now. The individuals who are suffering all across the world because they lost their jobs. Some of people have lost their homes. They were unable to pay rent. Some people were unable to pay their mortgages. This is, this is a tough time. But COVID caught us quite by surprise. Why? Because not enough money has been invested in research. But not just these communicable diseases, but non-communicable diseases. Diabetes. Hypertension. These are issues that COVID has shown up. COVID has shown us, basically, that these issues are important because a lot of these individuals who are dying have pre-existing conditions. Mostly hypertension. Mostly um, diabetes. These are individuals. These individuals are dying from those things and we need to be addressing how we eat we need to be addressing the things that we drink our lifestyles that we have and some of those things don't even come down to choice some of those things come because these individuals are living in poverty canned foods a lot of individuals are eating canned foods for example because that's what they can get their hands on but those things are high in preservatives and high in salt because that's how these things are preserved these individuals are making horrible choices because they're living in poverty. But a disease like that can run rampant through a community. Poor communities all over the world are suffering. The black community is suffering significantly because of COVID. Because mostly because of our poor eating habits. And not just, just that, a great majority of black and brown people are poor. Living in poverty. And... Investments on climate policy does not help. But here's the thing. Look at the size of these investments. For example, because there's a huge demand for spending. The German government, they plan to spend 40 billion euros. That's 44 billion US dollars. Over four years to help the country cut its carbon dioxide emissions. And what Bjorn Lundberg writes is that such measures would likely to would likely reduce 
the global rise in temperature by get this 0.00018 degrees Celsius in a hundred years. In fact, he goes on to say that this is an immeasurably small gain for such a huge cause. In fact, by contrast, he says, spending the same amount on preventing tuberculosis in developing countries could save more than 10 million. Mexico's pledge, for example, because Mexico has pledged as well, to dedicate 7 to 15% of its GDP. The European Union decides that they want to reduce emissions by 80% by 2050, but this could cost an average of $1.4 trillion. This is, an, this is an incredibly huge cost, and this money can be going into something else, somewhere else, or even spent more efficiently. I'm not saying don't look at climate change completely, but we should be looking at this in a more efficient manner because there are better ways to do this. Of course, before I move on into talking about better alternatives, I want to, I just want to dabble a little bit on the Paris Climate Agreement, because that's, in fact, that's why I came, that's why I did this whole episode for it. The Paris Climate Agreement is actually the most expensive international accord in history. And of course, it intends to wean countries completely off of fossil fuels and move to alternatives. But of course the alternatives are wind and solar, not nuclear. I, I cannot understand for the life of me why nuclear energy is not within the conversation, but it isn't. It's left out. And a new study, there's actually a study that Beyond Longword um, outlines, and he says that this new study suggests that the Paris Agreement will lead to an increase in poverty of around 4%. So this intention to spend all of this money to fix the environment, to reduce emissions, all of these things done by the Paris Agreement would lead to an increase in poverty of 4%. In fact, there are some statistics that suggest that if America and China and all of those the, the big um, gas guzzlers was to stop producing fuel, stop producing um, fossil fuels and stop using all the vehicles and all of that, it would only lead to an emission in the next 30 years. It would only lead to a decrease in temperature of 0.02 Fahrenheit. 0.02. This is absurd. So there needs to be a better way. But what is that better way? Well, there's one example of it, and this example comes, believe it or not, from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change, and they map five alternative global futures, and one of those studies suggests that humanity, the world's poorest people, will be much better off in a fossil fuel development rather than a sustainable scenario of lower CO2. So in other words, fossil fuels is still the way ahead for some of these individuals, especially for the economic development of some of these nations. But here's the thing. 
is to me, for me personally, it's all about a transitionary process. You're, you're eventually going to get off of fossil fuels. But to me, the best solution is a transitionary process. It's about lifting individuals from out of poverty. For the average individual who's using wood to, to burn instead of um, fossil fuel, that individual is doing significant harm to the environment. But it's not by choice. They don't have anything else because their nation is a developing nation. If we allow these nations to have access to efficient uses, efficient methods of fossil fuels, the first thing that they could do is start lifting their individuals from out of poverty. When you start lifting those individuals from out of poverty, then they can start considering more efficient lives because they are living different lives. But right now, these individuals who are living in poverty, these individuals who are living in developing countries, who have a, tons of individuals who are reliant on older methods like coal and what's not for, to, to deal with heating and that sort of thing, these individuals need more efficient methods. They need to be removed from poverty and then we can start. So it's a transitionary process. And in this transitionary process, we would start reducing our emissions. But this desperate attempt to change, to make all of these significant changes by 2030 or 2050, they're not going to help. And there's tons of money being allocated into the wrong places. So I'm going to leave on that note, a transitionary process. We need to shift away from the from this 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 mad craze of climate change that we need to fix the environment no we need to spend as much money as possible it's not going to help most of these climate policies are going to lead to greater poverty they're going to lead to nations continuing to struggle they're going to lead to some of the um some of the issues that we currently have outside of just poverty but things like instability within countries they're going to continue because these nations need some sort of level of stability and economic development to move forward and in order to do so they may need to use fossil fuels because it's incredibly expensive to use things like solar panels and wind farms and established nuclear plants all of these things are great but these things are too expensive as alternatives individuals cannot afford to use them and moving forward you need a realistic and pragmatic plan for all of these nations. And, you know, before I leave, I want to mention what the experts say. Because the, the, the experts really, their suggestion is really interesting as well. Bjorn Lundberg, he says that we must tackle climate change effectively, efficiently, which I agree with, and at the appropriate scale. The most sustainable policy would be a dramatic increase in research and development, spending to drive the cost of green energy below that of fossil fuels through innovation. I absolutely love this, love this idea. And to me, this transitionary process, I think my transitionary process fits hand in glove with this here. Spend on research. Spend your money on research. And in the meantime, allow these individuals to use to find the more efficient ways, make the current use of fossil fuels more efficient, while at the same time, 
invest in, in, in ideas to make the other technology cheaper. Soon enough, we will be able to buy an electric car for next to nothing. But currently, that is not the reality. Solar panels may cost next to nothing because they're being produced on a large scale. All the other things like battery technology, with investments into that, we could, we could make significant changes. All of those things can be done. And this is what this John Lumberg is suggesting. Oh, of course, in addition to all of this, before I forget, I want to just quickly mention the situation, the ongoing situation in Texas. If you've watched any of the news as of recently, you would have seen that the individuals in Texas are suffering from incredibly low temperatures. Of course, most of the climate alarmists were fully on board and claiming that, hey, this was a part of climate change. In fact, um, in fact, let me let me let me add that clip. Um, John Kerry was calling it, uh, what what is Noah climate weirder or something like that? He was he was calling it global weirding. That's what he was calling it. Yeah global weirding it's not global warming it's global weirding because of course the increase in temperature is obviously a sign of global warming but um the decrease in temperature is also a sign of global warming this is this is incredibly complex hey i'm glad i'm not a science guy anyway zeke host father yes yes that's his name host father h-a-u-s F-A-T-H-E-R. He's a climate scientist. And he actually tweeted that much of the U.S. is experiencing extreme cold temperatures. But we should not read into much of into this when it comes to climate change. It's both not an unusual day for global temperatures. And there's not much evidence that climate change is making cold extremes more common. Of course, there have been some criticisms there was an article that was put out into in the Atlantic criticizing Ted Cruz. Of course, Ted Cruz went across to Cancun, which, look, is, is incredibly irresponsible. He went across to Cancun, but the, the Atlantic used it as a platform to criticize his, uh, his leadership or the leadership or the more conservative policies in Texas. And one of the things that was said is that, hey, if there was more regulation over the the energy, the energy sector out there, and if they use federal help, then they would be in a different position. And that's that's a criticism. And of course, all of that criticism comes because everybody who is a conservative is a climate denier. This is this is this is absolutely absurd, but this is not the truth. Um this is Nothing out of the normal, unfortunately, and it's something that um, is not global warming, and it's nothing to be alarmed about, but it is an issue that needs to be rectified. So, I'm going to play the clip so that you can get a little bit of a, a laugh from it, and then I'm going to end the podcast there. So, until next time, I think the, the next episode we're going to be talking about um, Twitter, well, hopefully we'll be talking about Twitter and Trump's ban and 
after that we're going to be talking we're going to be talking about some in the other bonus episode we're going to be talking about um we're going to have a friend on from the anything goes podcast we're going to be having a conversation and uh, i hope you guys enjoy it so i'm gonna leave i'm gonna play on that clip and then i'm gonna end the podcast so till next time guys some people get hung up on the term global warming and say, well, I thought everything's supposed to get warmer. I heard one scientist say this is really global weirding. Is that a better way to think of this? I think it's a very appropriate way to think of it. It is directly related to the warming, even though your instinct is to say, wait a minute, this is the new ice age. But it's not. 